Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Jimmy Coonan. I'm a member of Carpenters and Joiners of America, Local 314. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi. I'm Ann Habel, a retired member of AFSCME Local 171. This week, we're exploring the impact of today's Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, sharing a report from a highly successful Labor Notes conference, learning about an action by Voices de la Frontera in support of essential workers, sharing a new statistic of the week, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Planned Parenthood and other health care providers will no longer be able to provide essential health care for women, as announced earlier today. The U.S. Supreme Court struck down the Roe v. Wade ruling that made abortion illegal, or excuse me, legal for the last 50 years. Supreme Court's 5-4 to four decision puts the 1849 law into effect and that bans Wisconsin doctors from performing abortions except to save the life of the mother. At a Planned Parenthood press conference earlier today, Tanya Atkinson, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin, made this statement. This ruling has taken away people's ability to make their own health care decisions, and we've seen firsthand instead turn those decisions over to politicians and has given politicians the permission to make those decisions to control what we do with our own bodies. We no longer have the freedom to determine our own course in life. This is a dangerous decision. It's a chilling decision, and it's going to have devastating consequences for 1.3 million women across the state of Wisconsin of reproductive age and for millions across the country, forcing people to travel hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles for care or remain pregnant. Make no mistake, this decision goes beyond abortion. This is about who has power over you, who has the authority to make decisions for you, and who can control how your future is going to be. Atkinson provided this information for anybody who needs reproductive health care. Although abortion services are not available at PPWI for now, Planned Parenthood's doors are open across the state, and we are still here to help patients get the care that they need. This includes helping people who need an abortion access safe and legal abortion care. We can help people navigate. We encourage individuals who need an abortion to please contact Planned Parenthood Wisconsin. We can help people navigate to a state where abortion remains safe and legal, where their decision to make their own health care needs known is respected. And we can also provide travel assistance. If somebody needs overnight housing, we can provide that and lost wages. So we, we can provide resources as well for individuals who need an abortion. Planned Parenthood will not back down from attacks on people's freedoms. The Supreme Court overturned more than just Roe v. Wade. It also invalidated hundreds of union contracts and include insurance coverage for all Medicare procedures, including abortion. 
winning equal treatment for women regarding medical insurance was the result of a Supreme Court decisions and strikes over many years. Labor Radio's Ellen Lalazern spoke with Jack Whitesick, Executive Director of the Building Trades Council of South Central Wisconsin, about the decision and its implications for her and her union members. What was your initial reaction upon hearing about this decision? My initial reaction was just kind of a shocking feeling. There's no way really to describe what it feels like to wake up one day and the courts are telling you that you're less of a person, (laughs) that you have less rights all of a sudden one day. It's weird because this has been a conversation for a long time and I feel like we kind of knew that this was coming and for it to actually be set in stone and it's indescribable how that feels. It appears that we're going backwards. I remember back in 2015 when they legalized gay marriage and that Supreme Court ruling came down. I keep going back to that day because it's just this indescribable feeling of waking up one day and having more rights than you had the day before. And you just can't explain what that feels like. This incredible feeling of finally being seen as an equal in the country that you live in. Having this come down today, it's just like, really? We made it about six or seven years of being a gay woman. I got to be an equal person. And now today, immediately once that came down with, you know, Wisconsin law, here we are again. It's just so disgusting. If you looked at the decision, Clarence Thomas called out the whole issue of looking at rights such as gay marriage and contraception. What you just said really speaks to that. This was 50 years of precedent. This ruling today makes me afraid for the future of what precedent does this set? Where's the line? What do you see the union doing in terms of trying to figure out a way around all this? We're going to keep on working on it and trying to protect our women in the field. This is just going to open a can of worms that I don't think we even know yet how this is really going to be unintended consequences, I guess. That even sounds gross to say because we know what the consequences are. Banning abortion doesn't stop it from happening. It just makes it dangerous for women. Any final thoughts? All of our billing trades unions, we stand with women and have your back during this time. I think the labor movement really needs to stand up and do the right thing and continue to fight back like we always have. The billing trades unions are a part of that. And finally, quoting State Representative Lisa Subek, The fight does not end with today's Supreme Court decision. The extreme right did not give up post-Roe, and that is how we ended up here. Now, we cannot give up the fight for our freedom and the freedom of future generations to make our own reproductive health decisions. That begins with restoring Roe in Wisconsin by overturning our state's criminal abortion ban, unquote. I'm Ellen LaLazerne, reporting for Labor Radio. This afternoon, a Wisconsin-based immigrant rights group called for action to protect essential workers at a company in northern Illinois. Greg Jabowski reports. This afternoon, United Giving Hope and the Essential Workers' Rights Network of the Milwaukee-based immigrants' rights organization Voces de la Frontera protested outside of the medical supply company Medline Industries in Waukegan, Illinois, to demand justice for its speakers at the action called Systemic Mistreatment of the Largely Immigrant Workforce, one of the nation's Medline is one of the nation's largest private health care companies and a leading manufacturer and distributor of medical supplies, products, and services. 
Medline has hired over 27,000 employees and conducts operations in over 125 countries, with recent annual revenues of $17.5 billion, according to figures supplied by Voces de la Frontera. Dana Blanco spoke at the rally, representing her husband, Juan Joaquin Blanco, who was injured at Medline. Dana Blanco tells his story with translation from Spanish provided by Christine Numan Ortiz of Voces de la Frontera. Who was working since 1991 when I came here, he was uh, leaning against the lamppost um, because he was in such pain. No one bothered here at the company, the administration, to reach out to him to say how he was doing. He got a letter from the company saying that if he didn't respond, he was going to be fired from the company. And sadly, in February, he uh, got the letter from the doctor saying that he had a disability for the rest of his life. As soon as the company got that letter, he was fired after so so many years of hard work for the company and that's why i'm here because i'm here to ask for just compensation not just for him but for all the other workers the people united will never be defeated that was dana blanco speaking today for her husband fired medline industries worker juan joaquin blanco and translated by christine newman ortiz of voces de la frontera other medline workers have come out with personal stories of alleged mistreatment jovita Mahan, 72 years old was a 22-year employee of medline who was allegedly fired after going to medline human resources for accommodations for diabetes 53-year-old Leticia Murillo was fired after returning from COVID-19 quarantine. According to Murillo, Medline applies COVID-19 protocols when it is convenient for production, and there's also favoritism on the part of some supervisors. The Essential Workers' Rights Network of Voces de la Frontera was founded in response to workplace abuses that were happening at the height of the COVID-19 outbreak. They promise to continue the campaign to publicize what is happening at Medline. More information and a video of today's action is available on the Voces de la Frontera website at vdlf.org. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Chabosky. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Breaking rocks and serving my time. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Cause I've been convicted of crime. I hold it steady right there while I hear it. Well, I reckon that ought to get it working. Uh huh, I'm working. But I still got so heavy far to go. Four thousand labor activists gathered in Chicago over the weekend to talk strategy and offer mutual support with the objective of putting a movement back into the labor movement. Almost a dozen labor activists from Madison were in Chicago for the largest labor notes gathering ever. Labor Radio spoke with Barbara Smith, a member of AFT Local 4848. She had this to say about the gathering. I was excited by a lot of the keynote speakers and just the the number of people listening and interested. What was the most important takeaway? It It's just great to be at a place that it shows so many different sides of labor. A lot of times there were just few people from each union 
sometimes even just one. So there was a great diversity there. And you got to be rubbing elbows with people in sectors that affect us every day, like postal workers and rail workers. And of course, you know, Starbucks and Amazon. So that was that was really neat and just amazing stories and things that people had done. And you could meet the people for real right in front of you. So that was that was really fun. Barbara also went to a workshop that addressed challenges activists face when we lose a battle. Yeah, one of the fun workshops I went to said when your union was called when your union breaks your heart. And we all sat around and talked about our disappointments. And then we talked about how do you move on from there? And I thought that was really important. If you're going to do anything long-term, you're going to have disappointments. And uh, we talked about stop paying attention to people who aren't doing anything and don't want to change. Focus on your coworkers. That's always where you get your energy from. And just carry on and don't ask for permission or forgiveness. When there's a problem, we're all in charge of fixing it. Adrian Pajic, a member of United Faculty and Academic Staff, had this assessment of the conference. The most noteworthy thing to me, the most exciting thing, was the sheer size of the conference this year. As you said at the top, it was 4,000 strong, and it would have been even uh, larger had uh, Labor Notes been able to facilitate such a meeting. To see the number of young people present at the conference was also really striking, so much so that a number of presenters, whether it be on panels or workshops, also happened to remark on the youthful nature of many of the attendants. I think that was really, really different this time. And I think I think it was really, really hopeful. What was the most important takeaway? The most important takeaway for me is what it always is, which is you need to talk to your you need to talk to your coworkers about what life is like at work and outside of it. What I saw at every panel I attended in every workshop was happened to be working people recognizing that just the just because the boss says so doesn't make it right. Labor Radio also spoke with Andrew Sernottinger, a steward and member of Teamster Soko 695. I think the most exciting thing at the conference was that there was a lot of energy among young workers in particular that were really just entering the labor movement. A lot of discussion from the, the young workers from the Amazon Labor Union, about 200 people from Starbucks were in attendance. And then, you know, on top of that, you had a, a, a large group of undergraduate workers, um, undergraduate students who are trying to organize student labor. So that was all really exciting. And I think also there was a, a debate about uh, the way forward for the labor movement that was not had directly, but it was a, a theme throughout the weekend about different takes about how to move us forward. What was the most important takeaway? As I was meeting with other labor activists and really just learning about how people had managed to, to organize where they are and build fighting unions and share their experiences more than anything. And, and more than anything, just kind of, you know, getting a shot in the arm, I think, for, for the times after such a hard few years. Participants made it clear that something is stirring. 
What forms the new union movement will take is another question. Thanks to Barbara Smith, Adrian Pashik, and Andrew Sernottinger for their comments. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. This week, we have a report from the Government Accountability Office on the glaring racial and ethnic disparities surrounding unemployment assistance in Wisconsin and other states during the pandemic. Carol Weidel has the story. This month, the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, released a report to Congress about the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program. The listener may recall that in response to the widespread unemployment caused by COVID-19, the CARES Act created the federal PUA program. The GAO report revealed wide racial disparities in two of the four states selected for study. Wisconsin and North Dakota delivered benefits to white non-Hispanic applicants at twice the rate for black non-Hispanic applicants. Wisconsin delivered benefits to 43.3% of white applicants compared to 21.9% of black applicants. The audit covered some of the most difficult times for Wisconsin's outdated unemployment system. Racial disparities became clear during that time, and the Department of Workforce Development has not explained the disparities revealed by the GAO report. The Economic Policy Institute described the persistent and in some case widening gaps between economic outcomes for black and white Americans as largely due to structural racism. Structural racism is entrenched within the very fabric of our customs, laws, systems, and institutions. For example, the PUA program provided benefits to contingent or non-permanent workers, but black workers are overrepresented in the contingent workforce. The PUA program expired September 6, 2021, and unemployment support is no longer available to a large population of American workers. The GAO recommends that the Secretary of Labor study and advise Congress on supplying support to workers in periods of involuntary unemployment outside of declared disasters. In addition, the GAO recommends that the Secretary of Labor examine and publicly report on the extent of and potential causes of racial and ethnic inequities in the receipt of pandemic unemployment assistance benefits as part of the agency's efforts to modernize UI and improve equity in the system. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Now for an update on contract negotiations with Madison's CUNAM Mutual. Labor Radio's Greg Jabowski talks with Joe Aveca of OPEIU, Local 39. Here's the latest bargaining update from OPEIU, Local 39, on negotiations between them and the Madison-based CUNA Mutual Group. According to Joe Aveca, Chief Steward at Local 39 at CUNA, after a bargaining session yesterday. Since last time we spoke, we had gotten a few additional proposals from the company regarding job security and see some movement on that. It became our turn to provide a counterproposal to the company. So just today, we tried to provide the company with a comprehensive counterproposal, really all items regarding our contract. So that includes things like health care, the pension, wages, job security, as well as the ability to work remotely into the future. But CUNA management seems in no hurry to answer the proposal. Management has indicated that their third-party lawyer from Jackson Lewis is going to be out for the next two weeks, and thus they said that they can't meet with us without their attorney present. So for that reason, it's likely going to be at least a couple weeks before we end up getting any kind of counterproposal back from the company, which... Avika describes two main negotiating points. 
When it comes to the wages we're proposing, what we found is that over the last several contracts, inflation has completely eaten away at all of our wage increases, such that today we are actually making the same amount of money that we made back in April of 2014 due to inflation and the low across-the-board wage increases we've received in the last several contracts. So we're asking for wage increases that are slightly higher than the current rate of inflation right now. When it comes to health care, we are proposing to make sure that we keep our HMO health care plan, which the employer has proposed to eliminate. That plan is the plan that the majority of our members are on. That was Joe Avica, chief steward of OPEIU Local 39 at CUNA Mutual Group, speaking yesterday to Labor Radio. An informational picket, which had been scheduled for tomorrow and mentioned on Labor Radio two weeks ago, has been canceled due to possible bad weather and is rescheduled to two weeks from tomorrow, Saturday, July 9th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at CUNA headquarters at 5810 Mineral Point Road in Madison. According to Avica, all in the community are invited and encouraged to join the informational picket on July 9th. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. In June of 1865, more than two months after the surrender of the Confederacy at Appomattox, word of the abolition of slavery reached Galveston, Texas. This day, June 19th, became known as Juneteenth. On Saturday, June 18th, the Madison community celebrated Juneteenth with a parade and gathering at Penn Park, and on Sunday with a barbecue at the Labor Temple. Madison Labor Radio spoke with Greg Jones, president of the NAACP of Dane County, about the event. We asked him to describe the significance of Juneteenth for Madison. Juneteenth is a name that really connects the month of June and the 19th, the date, the date 19th day of June, as the symbolic historical end of slavery in this country. Its significance for Madison is fundamental. It is one of the most deserving recognitions through celebrations and also reflection about the history of the end of slavery. So for Madison, I think it's really interesting that many groups have come together to support that event, to promote that event, to celebrate that event. Greg also addressed the need to raise Madison's consciousness of the date. Where I would even go further is that we need to do more to get the entire Madison community involved in it. It is the end, the very end of slavery in this country. Therefore, it should be celebrated by everyone. So we got to do a better job of promoting it throughout the entire Madison community among all racial and ethnic groups and particularly uh, individuals who are in positions of uh, in my opinion, elected authority, where we may have to move forward with some additional uh, support issues through legislation for those groups. Labor Radio also spoke with Kevin Gunlott, president of the South Central Federation of Labor and host of the Sunday Barbecue. Labor Radio asked Kevin to describe the significance of Juneteenth to the labor community of Madison. And what is it that labor unions are supposed to be about? We're supposed to be about preventing the exploitation of workers and advocating for all workers. So this is a civil rights issue, and it's a it, it, the the essence of a labor rights issue. Well, that gets us to the next question. How can we go about raising the consciousness of Juneteenth here in Madison and in the labor community? Publicize it each year. It obviously helps when it becomes a federal uh, holiday. 
uh, and it helps that more and more people are recognizing it and participating. And we saw a lot more participation this year, but I still think there there's a lot more to be done, especially to show those connections. Kevin summed up his thoughts about Juneteenth this way. Juneteenth draws attention to the systematic racist economy that we have. This year's Mass and Juneteenth gathering was the largest in memory. Official recognition of the importance of Juneteenth took a major step forward Monday when, for the first time, Juneteenth became a federal holiday. Thanks to Greg Jones and Kevin Gunlack for their thoughts. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. The NLRB began a series of virtual hearings this week to review the complaints filed by Amazon over a successful union election at a Staten Island warehouse. We'll hear more about the initial proceedings now. Over the past two weeks, the National Labor Relations Board has held a series of virtual hearings in an effort to determine whether Amazon's objections to the historic union election win at a Staten Island warehouse have merit. The NLRB will ultimately decide on whether a do-over election is warranted based on their findings. The hearings are taking place four months after the election in which warehouse workers voted to join the independent, worker-led Amazon labor union. Following the tally of ballots on April 1st, Amazon filed 25 objections to the election, including charges that the regional office of the NLRB overseeing the election favored the union, and that union leaders bribed workers with cannabis and threatened and harassed those who did not support the union. Prior to the start of the hearings on June 13th, Amazon sought to close the proceedings to the public. Amazon's lawyers argued that there was no way to police who was watching the proceedings, including potential witnesses who should not have access to other witnesses' testimony. The NLRB denied Amazon's request, citing the importance of public access to a case that has garnered both national and international attention. During a lunch break of the virtual hearing on Tuesday the 21st, members of other unions took advantage of the lull in the proceedings to shout out support for their comrades at Amazon, with various cries of, quote, Teamsters in the House, UAW in the House, when we fight, we win, unquote, coming out over laptop speakers. Another attendee grabbed control of the screen share and scrawled, quote, union across a video being presented as evidence by Amazon's lawyers. Some participants turned on their cameras to display union swag and signature red, while others changed their screen names to messages like, quote, recognize ALU. While the NLRB first indicated that the Zoom hearings could last, quote, several days, testimonies have been lengthy, and Amazon has said that it plans to call, quote, dozens and dozens of witnesses, many of them hourly warehouse workers whose jobs include picking items off shelves for orders and loading and unloading trucks. The board has now scheduled Zoom meetings every day through the end of July, suggesting that they anticipate a drawn-out adjudication of the complaints. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Jimmy Coonan, Carpenter, Local 314. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbach, Ellen Lalazerne, assistant Robert Robin G, reporters Mike Bernhardt, Greg Jabowski, Sean Hangerup, Anna Ham, Scott McCullough, Jeannie Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist, our current favorite, Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steffens, our reading coordinator, and he's highly coordinated. And to all of our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Ann Habel. We'd also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Madison Labor Radio and WORT. 
please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts. Bye-bye now.